from Kurtco Media. Coming up on the show. The food that I love the most is the food that is unpretentiously delicious. I love family style, just delicious, unpretentious, soul-bearing food that are telling you what are the ingredients of the region, what are the traditions of the region, what are the things that have been passed down through generations. That's chef and TV host Patty Jenich. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the show where we explore the world's most extraordinary travel experiences. And today we are talking about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is Mexican food. But not just Mexican food. We're going to dive into several different regions of Mexico, the Yucatan, Nuevo Leon, Morelia, Sinaloa, and more and all the incredible diversity of food and cultures and experiences in each. And fortunately for us, we are going to be led on this journey by a woman who knows pretty much as much about this subject as anyone does. Her name is Patty Jenich, and she's the host of Patty's Mexican Table, which is a James Beard award-winning PBS television series. I'm telling you, if you have not seen Patty's Mexican Table, I highly encourage you to do so. First of all, she just focuses every season on a specific region of Mexico, and she really like dives deep into the food, the culture, like no other show does. But it's also a great mix of like travel and cooking. It's kind of like Anthony Bourdain and Julia Child come together, and it's like you know part of the episode you're out and about with her and exploring all these different places, and then part of it you're back in her kitchen at home, and she's showing you how to make some of these things that she's discovered along the way. So you learn, you learn how to cook, you learn some new places that you want to go. But of course, the best part of all this is just how passionate Patty is about Mexican food and culture. She's she's from Mexico City. She's extremely passionate and knowledgeable. And of course, that's also what made my chat with her so enjoyable. So if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy this episode with Patty, please write us a review and follow Travel That Matters on Apple Podcasts. We've got a bunch of other great episodes coming up including an exploration of India with Condé Traveler's global editorial director, Divya Tani. And be sure to stick around until the end of this episode to hear about my favorite Mexican food, some of my favorite spots. But for now, let's hear from Mexican chef, TV host, and traveler, Patty Jenich. Hey, Travel That Matters listeners, it's Bruce. And even when I'm not traveling, I'm always looking for ways to explore the flavors of the world, which is one reason why I'm a big fan of the award-winning gourmet flavors from Watkins. Spicing up kitchens since 1868, Watkins offers a full line of flavoring products, including extracts, organic spices and herbs, seasoning blends, grilling rubs and marinades, bitters, and even artificial dye-free baking decorations and food coloring. Watkins Innovative Flavoring Products have been a secret chef ingredient for over 155 years. Their product lineup includes gourmet baking vanilla, pure almond and lemon extracts, delicious organic seasoning blends such as lemon pepper, Cajun, and everything bagel sesame seasoning, as well as a complete line of organic A to Z spices. I personally love grilling. And Watkins 1868 Organic Grilling Seasonings, Rubs, and Marinades are sure to liven up any barbecue. It's all part of the company's commitment to flavor every moment. For more information on Watkins World of Flavors, go check out watkins1868.com. 
and join their community on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. That's Watkins1868.com, where travel meets taste, and you can flavor every moment. Patty, thank you so much for joining us on Travel That Matters. Bruce, thank you so much for letting me join you on Travel That Matters. I'm delighted. I want to start with the new season of your show. So you've been doing the show, Patty's Mexican Table, on PBS for 12 seasons now. You just launched your new season, and it's all about the Yucatan. First, I want to know, is there one meal, one dish that just stood out to you as like, oh my God, like who, who made it? Where were you? What was it? I would say there were two meals that I had with the same person on the same day in a little town called Jalacho, which is about 50 minutes from the capital of Mérida. And I went with Chef Wilson, who is this extraordinary, extraordinary human being, Chef, who is obsessed with really sharing with people his micro-regional cuisine in the town of Jalacho, which has many of the main classic Yucatan dishes, but then it has many of its own spins and own uses of ingredients. So he told me, let's meet in the town of Jalacho, we'll go to the market, we'll source some ingredients, and then we'll come to my house, which is where he has this open-air restaurant, just a beautiful open-air restaurant, very low-key, in the middle of the Yucatecan jungle. So I was very excited. We meet in the market. When we're leaving the market, this is one of the dishes that I tasted, which was extraordinary. And I don't know if you had the opportunity to taste this when you were in Mexico. It's called asalbute. Asalbute. The salbute is a fresh corn tortilla made with fresh masa. And when it's raw, instead of being cooked in a griddle or comal over dry heat, it's deep fried in lard. And it's extraordinary. So it, I know it's insane. I can see you. <laughs> well, you take something it. good and you make and you deep fry it, you make it even better, right? I mean, that's exactly. <laughs> but so what happens instead of you of having an already cooked tortilla and passing it through oil or frying it and turning it into a crisp crisp tostada, what happens is this fresh corn masa tortilla goes into the crazy hot oil. It instantaneously puffs up. I'm going to show you videos and photos. I've actually <laughs> seen this. I, yeah, I've seen that video that you did. It's incredible. Oh, you yeah, saw yeah. that? I did. Well, look, I, I yes. I, I want you to continue, but I'll tell you why I saw that particular video. Uh, yeah, I was fascinated. I had never seen that. I had never tasted that. And I've been to Yucatan so many times. So what happens is the corn tortilla cooks in the hot oil, immediately puffs, which makes it really malleable because it's cooking from the inside out. And then it kind of lightly browns on the outside. But you don't leave it enough time for it to toast or crisp. You take it out while it's still soft, but it has the edges slightly browned. And then it's topped with some refried beans or frijoles colados and some cooked pork, like there they gave it to me, just cooked pork, like minced pork with onion and garlic. But when I made it at home, I made it with a chiote paste because there's a rojo version. Some lettuce, that's it. A little salsa. I took a bite when we were leaving the market and I was just in so much awe. But then we went to his restaurant and he made cochinita pibil. And this is the cochinita, the pork that's cooked 
in an underground pit, covered, wrapped in banana leaves with wood and smoke, and it's a unique kind of wood and all the ashes. And then it was juicy and incredibly delicious with the corn tortillas that his abuelita was making as he was bossing him around. And the beauty of these is that you have the whole town, the whole family that has to do with everything that you're tasting. And uh, it was an incredible experience. I think that was my favorite experience of that season. I, I well, Okay, so you just brought up one of my absolute favorite dishes in the world, and that is cochinita bibil. And I actually, so one of the reasons why I've seen that episode among your episodes is is because I saw that you were talking about cochinita bibil. So I, I specifically sought that one out. And I mean, it really is, I, you know, clearly you have to be someone who eats pork, which a lot of people don't, but it is one of the best things I've ever had. And, and, and especially in that part of the world where they make it in the traditional way. What is it? You, I, you, you actually said something that, you know, Cochinita Pibil is like tasting the history of the Yucatan, like with every bite. Can you just explain why that is? It speaks to, to what in essence is Yucatan, because... The flavors of Yucatan are so different from the rest of the country. And that has to do with the history of Yucatan and with the geography of Yucatan. The geography of Mexico, when you try to get to the Yucatan Peninsula, it's very accidented. It's very mountainous. It, for the Spanish, when they first got to Mexico, it was very difficult to get there. So the people that mixed with the Mexican population in the rest of the country developed a completely different historical, cultural, gastronomical path. So the people in the Yucatan have these flavors that are citrusy, rustic, smoky. The habanero is king, of course. In Yucatan, you have different kinds of citrus that don't exist in the rest of Mexico, like bitter orange or naranja agria like lima or sweet lime. And then they have these pastes that I'm sure you've tasted, of course, in the cochinita. So rather than have seasonings, they have these very precise pastes that are called recados. And I think that is a beautiful word because recado translates to little message. And these seasoning pastes define, you know, a different category of dishes. So there's a white recado or recado blanco. There's a red recado, which is the asciote rojo that's used in the cochinita. Bibil. Then there's the black recado. Then they have the brown or especies recado. And each one of these pastes you can go and buy at the market or there are people that make it in their homes and sell it. And so people have these spices in their home. And when they want to make a cochinita, they have the paste that has in it everything that you need to make that cochinita taste the way it should. So the cochinita civil is pork that's marinated in this paste mostly. And the asciote paste has asciote seeds or anato seeds. They're also called the poor man saffron in Yucatan because they have a very similar taste to saffron, but they're much more accessible. They kind of have a deliciously metallic taste. And that gets combined with charred ingredients like garlic and onion. But when we talk about charred in Yucatan, it's almost burnt ingredients where you have ingredients that are really taking taken to the extreme in order to bring out the best that they have in them and to become rustic and smoky. And so the pork 
is rubbed in that marinade. See, I'm getting hungry. And then <laughs> more bitter orange juice is added. And then that's packed in a cooking pot, typically, typically earthenware. And then it's covered with banana leaves or the leaves from a tree. And then it's cooked underground. And then it's smoked for hours and hours and hours. And what comes out is this meat that is falling apart. And it's smoky and citrusy and nurturing and feeling at the same time. It's the most like delicious, unpretentious food. You mentioned halacho. You know, I don't think a lot of people, I haven't heard of halacho. And, you know, I, I have been to the Yucatan quite a bit. A lot of people have been to the Yucatan, but, you know, some of that, a lot of that experience is Cancun, Riviera Maya, Tulum, maybe. What is it to you? Like, what would you say to people? Like, why? You know, I think you've just given us a few reasons already, but why should people go to Valladolid or to Merida or, or wherever it is? Halacho. Because you're getting to experience the real everyday life of another country and another culture, and you're really immersing yourself in the experience. So, I mean, the world is so wonderful, so big and so diverse, that if you're going to go through the trouble of going out of the country to a different place, I always say the most important thing is to make friends with a local or someone who's from that region who, like me, is a migrant somewhere else. Because when you're an immigrant in a different country, you develop this really intense nostalgia for where you come from. And the things that you remember the most and the things that you crave the most and the things that you recommend that people go to will typically have a lot of meaning and history and many things attached to it. So whenever I go to a new place, Bruce, I make sure to connect with people from that region who may be here in the U.S. Um, and you just have to know that nostalgia is tainted with a lot of romanticism. So sometimes you go <laughs> and you get to the place and you get back to the person and tell them it was great, but it may not be what you remember, right. you know. But so that's one great ride. But then locals are really taking the pulse, of course, of what's happening and things change so much. I mean, there's things that remain classics and remain wonderful, but locals really know, you know, taxi drivers, Uber drivers, the person in your hotel who's not at the concierge desk, but like a waiter or somebody who's helping you with your luggage, then you're not walking in other person's, you know, food paths. Like you're creating your own journey and I think that's very important when you travel to make your own travel journey rather than doing the five top things that so many people are telling you to do. Yeah, I love that. I love that talking to people, you know, immigrants who live here in the U.S. about their country and, and kind of playing off of that nostalgia and incorporating that into your experience. That's a great, great tip. Quickly, before I want to move on to other parts of, of Mexico, but tell us, is that the restaurant that you went to in Halacho? Is that a place people can go? I, I mean, that sounds like somewhere I want to go. Google Chef Wilson Alonso. And Jalacho is spelled H-A-L-A-C-H-O. I mean, it's the only place you can go in Jalacho. You know, but now that you're saying, I, th I think I remember I was driving from Merida to uh, the Riviera Maya. And someone told me you have to stop here for lunch. I didn't have time, but I think that was probably it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look back and find out. Don't go anywhere. We are going to be right back to learn all about Patty's favorite under-the-radar culinary spots in Mexico. 
Solar from Kurtco Media. A fully immersive sonic adventure with revolutionary sound from Dolby Atmos, starring Stephanie Beatrice. Jamal has given up, but I'm gonna find a way to save him. Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. Leaders have to make sacrifices. Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. This isn't how our mission ends. And Jonathan Banks. Getting you home is the only thing I can do to give my life any worth. Solar. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's do talk because I mean, like I mentioned, this is your 12th season, so you have filmed in many, many other regions of Mexico as well, Jalisco and Oaxaca and so on. What is a, a part of Mexico that you feel like is overlooked or underrated from a, a culinary perspective, from a destination standpoint, too? As a person from Mexico City who has traveled a lot, I feel that even us Mexicans tend to overlook the North. Eh, Sinaloa, Sonora, Chihuahua, Nuevo León. I had never been to Nuevo León before we filmed season 10, sorry, season 11 in Nuevo León. I had never gone to Monterrey because I used to think of Monterrey as, oh, that's going to be just a big city. It was fascinating, Bruce. Have you been to Monterrey? I ha- and it surprised me as well. Very much. I had no expectations when I got there. And when you drive in, it's like, wow, it's a stunning location, first of all. What did, when did you go and what did you think of the food? I went, I went twice about two years ago and it was fantastic. And, and it is very, you know, I think that up there it's very, uh, cattle farming is big in that, that part. So you get a lot of beef, but fantastic quality beef. I loved it. It was one of those places like how no one thinks about Monterey. I don't, I don't think, I mean, unless you, maybe people in Texas who, you know, of course there's a lot of people who have lived back and forth between those two locations, but I just feel like most Americans not even on the radar at all. Exactly. And it's an incredibly modern city. I couldn't believe how organized it was. Um, You know, typically in Mexico, cities are kind of chaotic, which is part of the charm. (laughs) It's completely Um, opposite of Mexico City. Completely the opposite. And it just speaks to the incredible diversity of, of our regions and our cities. But I was so amazed by the food brews. We went to Cara de Vaca, which was an extraordinary restaurant. Um, if you go back, it was just incredible. They're obsessed with their oregano. It comes mainly from a little town, ta- like an area of Nuevo León called Higueras. And the oregano in Nuevo León is tiny. It looks like tiny little rabbit's ears, you know, like tiny little leaves. And it is very woody and warm and fragrant, but it's a little bit intense. Well, now I was now in Yucatan and their Yucatecan oregano is like 20 times the size, gigantic leaves, and the flavor is completely different. It's like a different kind of an herb and it tastes like citrus, it's fragrant, it's perfumed, and it smells like dried roses. So if you make a dish with one oregano versus the other, you're going to get something completely different. One beautiful thing about the northern states is that they have such few ingredients. In Nuevo León, you know, they mostly have oregano and cumin, and it's very hot. It's very hard to grow things there. That's why they rely so much on cattle and animals. But they prize what they have so much that they get really incredibly inventive with their cheese and with their meats and with their spices. 
I had no idea that I would be so fascinated with the food from Monterrey, of all places. What? Okay, you mentioned Sinaloa, which, you know, a lot of people probably, the name Sinaloa scares them away. <laughs> Mazalan clearly has been a, a popular destination for many, many years, less so now with Americans. I think it's, it's largely uh, Mexico City and Guadalajara, people who go there. But the food in Sinaloa is unique. And I think a lot of the shrimp that you get, my understanding, like in in Puerto Vallarta, in Jalisco and areas like all the shrimp is coming from Sinaloa. So I, I, it really has a unique seafood culture there. What Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. And in talking about travel that matters, now that you're talking about Sinaloa, I think that has been something that for me has been increasingly important to go to Mexico to places where people don't want to go because they're hearing something else in the news. By the time that I wanted to go to Sinaloa, what people knew about Sinaloa was narcos and, you know, and los mochis. And I really wanted to go because I knew so many people from Sinaloa that live in the, in the U.S. that cook such extraordinary food, that have such incredible values of hard working and family values and of being so proud of their food. So I really wanted to go and taste the food. So I went to Scout before I tried to convince my production team that it was safe to go to Sinaloa. And I was going everywhere and walking around everywhere and felt perfectly fine. It was very hard to convince my team to come, though, because Narcos was all the rage then. People are so lively and festive, and they're just like the local shrimp. If you taste the shrimp from Sinaloa, it's bold and big and bright and very unapologetic of how incredibly flavor and gigantic it is. And I feel like Sinaloa is that way. And you know why shrimp are so incredibly delicious in Sinaloa? Most of the shrimp that you find there are fed by two kinds of water. It's the water that comes from the mountains. And that water goes through the very fertile volcanic soil because there are volcanoes around there and also the very fertile soil of the land that's being cultivated. That water gets to these esteros and then it washes into the water of the of the Sea of Cortez. So it's shrimp that's very unusually fed by a very rich waters like both sweet and the salty water from the ocean. And these shrimp are gigantic and crunchy and delicious. And having an, a fresh aguachile, which is meant to have the raw shrimp um, that's not frozen before you eat it, it's like eating like a foie gras of shrimp. It just melts in your mouth. And you can try to make Sinaloan dishes anywhere in the world, but they will not taste like, taste like the, the shrimp dishes that you find there just because of the quality of the shrimp. I, I 100% agree on that. I've struggled to have shrimp since I've been back in the U.S. because it's just not, it is not the same. And I think that water too you're talking about, I mean, one of the things I think with Sinaloa too is the Copper Canyon. The water's coming down through the Copper Canyon, which is one of the incredible you know, natural wonders of the world with peaks that, I don't know, they get up to about 9,000 feet, I think, in some places. It's an extraordinary place. And there's, you know, little towns along the way, El Fuerte, great old colonial, beautiful town. There's a lot to Sinaloa that people people don't know. I have driven around in Sinaloa quite a bit. And, you know, look, I, I think with anywhere, you have to be careful when you're getting off the beaten path. But I want to ask you about that because people might not know this about you, but before you were a professional chef and TV host, you were a 
political advisor. You were a consultant, you know, it's specializing in foreign policy, Latin America, politics. So I think you do have a very unique perspective on this. What is your, you know, when people are afraid to go to Mexico or, or feel that Mexico is not safe as a kind of a, a blanket statement, I think you know where I come down on this, but like, wh what is your response to that? Yeah, I get that question a lot, Bruce. And I always say, I think what you were kind of saying, that you have to be as careful in Mexico City as if you go to Chicago or Detroit or New York and just use your common sense. I think that there's this misconception, there used to be this misconception that we've inherited from decades and decades ago, that crossing the border into Mexico gives people permissions to do whatever they can't do in the U.S. You know, drink more, party more. We saw it in the history of Tijuana. We saw it in the, in the history of Ciudad Juarez, where the south of the U.S. is just catering in terms of tourism to the people coming from the north. And what things can you get away with in Mexico that you can't in the U.S.? That mentality by in itself is dangerous. You know, you come to a different country and you should use the same guidelines and values that you use in your own country. And if you use your same common sense of, no, you're not going to go out at 3 a.m. in a play in an area that you don't know by yourself. Yep. And you're going to ask what are the common practices? What's the etiquette? I completely agree. And I think that's a great point is that it's, you know, it's a lot of it is, is your mentality, not the, you know, not the what's actually happening on the ground. Not to, you know, talk, certainly there are incidents that have happened in Mexico, as there are, of course, in the United States as well. So it's just, it is, you know, being the same person that you are at home and using common sense, like you said, speaking of Mexican perceptions, I mean, sorry, U.S. perceptions of Mexico. The concept of Mexican food in the U.S. has definitely evolved over the years. And certainly, you know, I feel like, you know, Southern California has had, a, had, a, had incredible Mexican cuisine culture for many years. But it's still primarily, you know, tacos and burritos is, is what we mostly think of when we think of Mexican food. What are some of the things like that we don't know about that, you you know, in your travels filming this show, like what are some of the dishes that we don't know about that we should seek out? You've, you've mentioned a couple of them already, but what? give us a couple more. So many brews. <laughs> and I feel that it's not only Americans or north of the border, but Mexicans too. I used to think of burritos and nachos and fish tacos as a U.S. invention of Mexican food until I started traveling through all of these northern states. And I think just having an open mind in the U.S., one can no longer say that you can only find extraordinary Mexican food south of the border. Mexican regional food is evolving so beautifully in the U.S. too. You have these communities of Oaxacans in San Francisco and people from Puebla in New York and Zacatecans in L.A., and they're recreating the foods that they have in their DNA, you know, the techniques, the dishes, and then they're incorporating what they find in these new places, creating classics. When I started Patty's Mexican Table, I started sharing the foods that I missed, the stories that I loved, the things that I was hoping would shine a light on who we are as Mexicans north of the border. And I realized as the seasons went on that I didn't know much of Mexico, even though I was a political analyst and I had combed, you know, 
my country's history and regions, I realized that there's so much more to know. So while I started with Puebla and Mexico City and Oaxaca, I increasingly wanted to go to places that I didn't know. Even if I go to places that I've been to before, like Yucatan, I've been to Yucatan 20 times. And this time that I took a deep dive and I took the time to really go out of my way to places not recommended, but just just word of mouth. But in terms of foods that people may not know about Mexico, um, I think that one that is also very overlooked are the foods from Michoacán. The food that I love the most is the food that is unpretentiously delicious. I love family style, just delicious, unpretentious, soul-bearing food that are telling you what's what are the ingredients of the region, what are the traditions of the region, what are the things that have been passed down through generations. And even if people are being inventive and creating new things, and Michoacán is just like that. I don't know why, Bruce, I can't explain why other regions like Oaxaca or Puebla or Yucatan are so famous in terms of their culture and gastronomy. Michoacán is incredibly rich in terms of of its culinary, you know, like treasure chest. It has not only one, but three defined, very different regional cuisines. I would describe it as homey, deeply flavorful, a lot of sauces. It uses a lot of tomatillos and pasilla chiles, which are not used as much in other regions of Mexico with that intensity. They even have their own tamales. I don't know if you've ever seen the corundas, which are like these three-dimensional tamales no. that are, it's like a triangle, but it's like three-dimensional. I think of Michoacán, one thing I noticed in Mexico is everywhere you go, there will be stands that say carnitas Michoacán. Of course, Michoacán. of course. They, the carnitas Michoacán style is very popular yeah. throughout throughout the country. Yeah, the capital of Carnitas is Quiroga in Michoacán. And I went there and I couldn't believe how exquisite the Carnitas were. And they're mainly made with nothing but more lard and salt and some kind of like a little bit of sugar or soda to add just a spark of, of caramelization at the end of the process. But Carnitas come from Michoacán. Purepecha food, which is incredibly delicious, comes from, from Michoacán. And, and I just think we're increasingly finding out how diverse the the food of Mexico is, not only in terms of its region and micro-regions, but, but also the cuisines that keep on evolving outside of Mexico, which I find to be just as authentic and delicious. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with chef and TV host Patty Jenich. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. 
From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Okay, let's let's bring it back to Mexico City, where you're from. And, and it is, you know, one of the things that I find so incredible about Mexico City is it really does, so many of these regional cuisines do come together there. Carnitas from Michoacan, you know, shrimp from, from Sinaloa, whatever it is, like you can get the cochinita pibil from, from the Yucatan. What is it now when you go back to Mexico City? I know you have a lot of family there. Like, what do you love about going there and, and eating there? Like, what do you look forward to? Mexico City, I would say, has the best food of any place I've been to in the world. It's There's nothing like it. It's a city of 27 million people. And because Mexico is a country that doesn't have that many strong metropolises, that's many strong cities. You know, if you think about the U.S., you have L.A., you have San Francisco, you have Boston, you have Chicago. People relocate a lot. In Mexico, by far, the biggest, most important city, capital, really, is Mexico City. So there, it's a big magnet of people from all over Mexico, as you are well saying. So you can find extraordinary Oaxaca and extraordinary Yucatecan. But you know what the crazy thing is? You can find incredibly, del- and I'm laughing, you can find incredibly delicious Italian. The sushi <laughs> in Mexico is to die it's for. It's very good sushi, yes. Sushi is spectacular. Yeah. And Italian restaurants are phenomenal. And I think that what Mexico has going for it, you know, one of the things that Mexico has going for it in terms of its gastronomy is that we really do have a very strong mother cuisine in that we have our Mexican food, we have our common denominators, our regional pillars, um, and the things that really define what is Mexican. But we also embrace foods from other places and give it our Mexican spin. It's really incredible. You go to to a Japanese restaurant. I just went with my sister Karen when I was in Mexico, and I think it's the best sushi I've ever had. And you have to tell us the name. What? It, uh, what? Oh my gosh! And I'm blanking <laughs> on the name, but I will. I will text it. We'll get. We'll put it in the show notes. You have to tell us. Wait, your is this your sister has a restaurant in yes, Mexico City yes, too, right? Yes. What is that? So my oldest sister, her name is Karen, and she has a restaurant, which is extraordinary, I have to say. The name is Nido, N-I-D-D-O. And the first one opened in Juarez, and I think she's about to open her fourth one. It's incredibly delicious, and she calls it Comida de Apapacho. Apapacho. Or, you know, food. Apapacho is like when you want to hug, nurture, take care of someone, (laughs) like cuddle someone. And it is Mexico's comfort food, but it has a a lot of threads woven in it from Syrian, Lebanese, Middle Eastern flavors, a lot of Jewish influence too. So she, for example, has some shakshuka chilaquiles. Pastor is originally, right, from from Lebanon, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Or think about one of my favorite dishes that are Mexican, like to the core. And I'm saying to the core because it's kind of ridiculous, but it's fideo seco. So we took, you know, the Italian pasta. And by the way, everybody thinks that tomatoes are Italian, but you're welcome, Italy. They're Mexican. (laughs) 
But so we take pasta and we give it the Mexican stamp, which I think Italian people wouldn't like what we do to their ingredient. We fry it in oil, in a little bit of oil, until it toasts and it becomes um, nutty and flavorful and intense. And then we add the tomato sauce, typically with one chili or another. So it's like a very spicy, thick, seasoned tomato sauce. And instead of cooking the pasta in water, like as if it were risotto, we cook it in that sauce. So that pasta has no choice but to be ridiculously flavorful. <laughs> the prisoner and then we of cook the sauce. It. Yeah, it's just like it, it. And Mexican food is very saucy. And then the pasta, of course, overcooks and becomes a mess, which is why it's so delicious. And then you top it with crema and queso fresco and avocado. And it's Mexicans eat that, you know, weekly at home all over Mexico. And we, we feel it's a very Mexican thing. So UNESCO actually designated Mexican cuisine as a, I don't know what, a UNESCO designated cuisine. There's only, I think it was like the <laughs> second one in the world or, or something like that. So it, what, you know, A, does that really mean anything to you as a, as a Mexican chef? And then B, what, you know, what is it about the food that you think singled it out for that designation? Of course, it means a lot to me. And I feel like it means a lot to us Mexicans. When I was growing up, Bruce, um, in the 70s and 80s in Mexico, there's this thing that we say in Mexico, this term that's called malinchista. I don't know if you know what it means. I do, yeah. Uh, you yeah. do? <laughs> yes. I, I, my Spanish teacher taught me all about it. Yes. Fitness. Oh, yeah. Malinchista. Okay. But please so, explain because it is interesting. It's an interesting of course. concept. Yeah. So when Hernán Cortés came to Mexico and conquered, he became friends with an Aztec translator that then became his his partner, his companion, his girlfriend. And she helped him to translate, to conquer Mexico and to invade and to turn Mexico into what it was for 300 years, which was the colony of Spain. So there's there's this term that we use when you say that someone is malinchista, is someone who thinks that anything that's not Mexican is better than their own thing. And Mexico has that not only with the U.S., but also with Europe. Like there's this feeling that anything Spanish, you know, we were a colony of Spain for 300 years. The the language, the food, the culture, anything Spanish or anything French or anything European is better, better, better quality, higher grade. And so in Mexico, there was like a general national kind of looking down on Mexican cooking as it being just home cooking or cooking for the family. But when anybody anywhere in the country wanted to go to celebrate a birthday, it was like, go find a hamburger or go eat French food or go eat Italian food. So this move um, that actually started in Michoacán and with a group of phenomenal uh, Mexican chef, chefs and cooks, women, started this movement to get the UNESCO recognition. It really made not only the world look at Mexican cuisine as a mother cuisine, just like Chinese or French or Italian, but it most importantly made us admire our own food. And I mean, we're a reflection. Mexico always looks to the outside for approval, unfortunately, and what other people think of us and our culture. And our, I mean, there's, there's this tug and pull between being very proud about who we are, but also looking to others for recognition. So, for example, 
you know, Patty's Mexican table, I'm very lucky. We've worked very hard, but we've gotten three James Beard awards for the show. And I feel like it's something that's for Mexicans, for cuisine, for a culture that we have a seat, you know, at the James Beard Awards because the show is Mexican. And that's actually a great perspective because, you know, I think from, you know, an outside perspective, you don't recognize it in that way. You think, oh, that's great that they got the recognition and it makes sense because we all like Mexican food and it is a unique culinary, you know, tradition and, and the ingredients. But realizing how much it means for, you know, turning around perceptions within the country is is fascinating. Patty, it has been so much fun. I mean, for me especially, but it's just been so much fun to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Bruce. And now for the wall and wrap up. All right. I know I talked a lot about Cochinita Pibil there and AJ actually went out right after that interview and, and, and got some for lunch. And so I will stop talking about Cochinita Pibil and talk about a place that Patty and I did not talk about in this episode. And that is Jalisco, where I live for a while. And, and honestly, I think it is an incredible food culture in Mexico because it's got the coastline and then the mountains. It's got incredible agricultural areas, livestock areas. It really has, I would say, one of the best mixes of cuisine in Mexico. And I want to share. So, you know, I, I have my Jalisco top five dishes that you have to try if you're in Jalisco. And, and it's very different than, look, in the U.S., I've, I've kind of always been a carnitas person or burritos. I'll admit I like a good bean and cheese burrito with some good salsa. But when you go to Mexico, clearly, depending on where you are, it can be totally different as to what they're serving. And the carnitas, honestly, in, in at least where I was, in Vallarta, in Puerto Vallarta, was not as good. That wasn't their strong point. Their strong point was pastor, al pastor. The al pastor tacos in Puerto Vallarta are phenomenal. You have to do it. There's kind of like a big three taco places in town, Pepe's, Pancho's, and Sonorita. AJ is a fan of Pepe's. I'm a Sonorita guy. Most people would actually say Pancho's. It's just you always got to wait in the line. So either way, you can't go wrong, assuming you eat pork, of course, again, the pastor in Puerto Vallarta. Another must-try dish on the coast or anywhere near the coast in Jalisco are the, the shrimp tacos. They really We talked a bit about Sinaloa and how the shrimp is just different there. They're getting the same shrimp in, in Vallarta. It is actually coming from Sinaloa. And the shrimp tacos there are, will ruin you for life. That You'll never be able to eat shrimp tacos in the U.S. again, that's for sure. So pastor and shrimp tacos ruin your Mexican food experience in the U.S. But fortunately, in the U.S., we do a lot of other things very, very well with Mexican food. Okay, a few other things that I really didn't know much about before I went down there. My other, my other the three of, of my Jalisco top five. Number one is birria. The birria, birria is not from Jalisco. It's from different parts of Mexico, but it is done really well there. Lots of places, I think traditionally it's made with goat. It's like slow cooked goat that you can serve with tortillas. Most things are. Usually what you find in, in Jalisco, throughout Jalisco, is is the beef birria, which is, I just think, easier, easier for people to make. Fantastic. There's a restaurant called La Fina, which AJ has not been to yet, but will go there the next time he is in Mexico. La Fina in Puerto Vallarta has the best birria quesadilla, life-changing. That's, we use that word too much, but it is a life-changing quesadilla. Next, okay, so you got birria, camarón, pastor. Next is pozole, the soup, the, the just amazing soup made with hominy. 
usually with pork, but it can be with chicken. It can be with any, like they'll put anything in, in pozole and it's got vegetables, but the hominy is just, there's something about it. It gives it this texture and the spice and they'll serve it with like chopped radishes and lime wedges and, so, and you just throw it all in there and it is so, so good. Even when it's hot out, it's boiling hot out and some for some reason you're eating soup, but it is so good. If you go to Vallarta, again, sorry, sorry, so many of these recommendations are in Vallarta, but by the way, we'll put all these restaurants and everything in the show notes, but you have to go to a place called Doña Chela. It's, it's this little tiny place run by a few abuelas and it's just like, it is tiny counter. All I think they only have pozole pretty much. Fantastic. Doña Chela. You can also get great pozole in the market in tequila mexico that's actually you know look jalisco is known for for tequila it's the place where tequila comes from and uh, I, I don't think a lot of people know that there's actually a city called tequila that is a really cool place to visit not just for the tequila but for like there's great hiking the food is amazing there the other thing okay so there's this like little market area in tequila that you have to go to for great birria great pozole and the one thing that you don't really find in my top five in in puerto vallarta is the torta Ahogada. That is, let's call it a f- Mexican French dip. It is, it's from Guadalajara. And so that's the best place to get it. But tequila is very close to Guadalajara. So you can get it there as well. It is carnitas kind of, it's, it's, it's a pork carnitas type dish that is served in like a s- wet piece of bread and spicy. It's, it's seriously like, yeah, I mean, it's Mexican French dip and it is so, so good. So pastor and camarón tacos, birria, Pozole, torta ahogada. If you can find it in the U.S., go for it. Otherwise, make your way down to Tequila, Guadalajara, and Vallarta and have kind of an ultimate Jalisco food tour. Anyways, thanks for listening. It was a pleasure having Patty on the show. We'd like to thank Patty Jennings for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on some of the destinations and restaurants that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. Travel that matters is produced and edited for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Marketing by Katrin Skapertis. And hosted by me, Bruce Wallen. And we will see you down the road.